That's an exciting morning, isn't it? <laughs> we appreciate you being here. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for joining us in the room. Thanks for joining us online today. Uh, listen, we've loved having your kids here for VBS this past week, man. We have had a blast. And if you don't have a church home, shameless plug, our children's ministry is incredible. We want to, I hope you'll be part of the MCC family here. Listen, I want you to see and I want you to hear how much fun they had this week. So check out the screen. And that was when they saw me come in the door. If you can imagine the rest of the excitement. Hey, you picked a good week to be here uh, because we are starting a series this week that is going to remind us of who we are and why we do what we do. So in our culture, there are several words used to describe who we are, uh, who we in the room, who we online, who we are. Uh, sometimes it's the word Christian. Sometimes Jesus followers here in our culture, in our community could be MCCers. But the Bible has a word that it uses for us as well. And that word is disciple. And so if you've been around MCC very long, you've heard us use that word before. Uh, occasionally, we like to stop and just remind ourselves. So that's what we're doing in this series, specifically this morning, about what it means to be a disciple right now. So uh, if you have the Version app on your, on your phone or uh, if you have your Bible with you, Matthew 4 is where we're going to be, uh, where we're going to start this morning. So check this out. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, he, of course, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, uh, that we know as Peter, that's what we call him, and then Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They were mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, this, just so that we all have a point of reference, the Sea of Galilee was the place to be. All of Galilee uh, and, uh, centered around it, and the countryside uh, surrounding it was phenomenally fertile. I mean, you could grow anything. I could grow hair uh, in that area. But uh, the Jews said that of the seven seas that God made, this was the best. And in Jesus' day, a 30 fishing towns surrounded it. 230 boats every day would be out working the lake. It's kind, of, it's kind of this postcard picture, you know, kind of place. Uh, and there are two things I want to make sure that you know about this encounter with Jesus. The first one may surprise you a little bit. The second one is possible there'll be some in the room, some who are with us online, who are going to be shocked by what you find out. So one day, Jesus is walking the shoreline. He sees these two brothers, and he says, follow me. And when I was growing up, I always used to think, this is the weirdest passage. I mean, here comes Jesus out of nowhere, and he walks up to two guys he's never met before, and he says, follow me. And they do. 
happened? That just, does that not sound weird to you uh, that that would happen? And it would be weird if that's what was happening, but that's not what was happening. And this may surprise you, so this is the surprise. But when this happens, and it's in the notes, take it home, Peter and Andrew, they already know who Jesus is. So for at least some time, uh, Jesus has been circulating in this part of Palestine where Peter and Andrew lived, and Jesus was well known for how he taught and all the miracles that he worked, and he would cure various illnesses, he would cast demons out of people. So here's what I think, and this isn't in the Bible, so it's just me kind of speculating a little bit, but these two brothers who work for their family business, which is fishing, right, would take breaks from fishing from time to time. They'd put down their nets for a couple of hours. They would go hear Jesus. Maybe, maybe they had seen him heal the sick. Maybe they'd seen him cast out demons. And I got to tell you, if there was someone in my town who I heard was doing those things just out of curiosity, I'd have to go check this guy out. So when Jesus comes up to them on the lakefront that morning, Peter and Andrew, they, they already know who he is. Matter of fact, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read that he has talked to Peter and Andrew previously. So they know who he is and what kind of man he is. So just if you've had this picture of Jesus being kind of a, you know, making a cold sales call on these guys, uh, that's not what is happening. Uh, that's important because it plays into what he's about to call them to and what he calls us to as well. So here's the second piece I want to make sure you catch. And this one's one that may be a little bit shocking for you, but Jesus never called Peter and Andrew to be Christians. Never called them to that. As a matter of fact, he called them to be followers. Now, explain. That's technically true because people weren't even called Christians at that point. It wasn't until much later. In the book of Acts, we read all the way in chapter 11, Jesus had gone back to uh, heaven and his followers for the very first time are called Christians. By the way, not a compliment when they were called Christians. But it's also uh, literally true because we, and, and I think what happens is we become so familiar with this story that we gloss right over something that we need to make sure that we catch because it's part of what defines us. Look at what he says. It's his literal words. He said to them, follow me. That's why when we talk about being a disciple here at MCC, what we say is that a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. And if you're new here, you may be wondering what uh, what this word is and why we're using this word disciple when it's not a common 21st century word, at least not in our country, it's not. But Jesus' last words to his followers, Matthew 28, he's about to ascend back to heaven, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make what? Is it not on the screen? I thought it was on the screen. All right, let's try that one more time. <laughs> Jesus said, therefore go and make what? disciples, right, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I will always be with you to the very end of the age. So his marching orders for his followers in that day and his followers in this day is go and make disciples of everyone. You become a disciple yourself and go help everyone else around you that you come into contact with learn, figure out if they want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus as well. So since we're supposed to be a disciple and we're supposed to help other people become a disciple, it seems like we should all understand together what it means to be a disciple. The Bible calls people who are following Jesus, anyone who follows Jesus, literally, a student who wants to be like their teacher. That's what a disciple, literally, that's what a disciple is. And we say that carefully and intentionally because we don't want to do what so many do today. We don't want to confuse going to church with following Jesus. 
Because while followers of Jesus are found in the are, are, are the church, not everyone who goes to church wants to follow Jesus. Sometimes people just want to go to church. Uh, and I recognize that's a harsh statement. Could come off kind of judgmental. And, and we've said this before, but it's why so many outside the church don't have a problem with Jesus, but they have a problem with us. Because inside the church, we teach what Jesus said. We just don't do it. We don't live it out in our lives. Uh, we, we, we don't practice what we preach. And no one expects anyone here to be sinless. No one expects anyone here to be perfect, at least none of us who are really trying to figure this thing out. And so, and so we ask these kinds of questions. And we, so I'm asking this of you this morning. Have I made that decision for myself? Have I decided if I'm going to follow, if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, have I made that decision for myself? And you know what? Some of you are here for the very first time, and you're just kind of hearing this, and you're trying to figure out if Jesus is real, and if he's real, you know, what does that mean, and who's he going to be in my life? And you are just right where you need to be. You haven't made a decision yet, and that's fine, but you're putting yourself in a place to sort of figure it out. But others of us have been here for a while. And so the question is, have you made that decision for yourself? And if you haven't, why haven't you? But here's the other question. If I did make that decision, am I still following him? Because it's easy to slip into this mode of I'm no longer following, now I'm just going to church. So to be clear, Jesus is not looking for more church members. He's looking for people who will offer up a total sacrifice of everything that they are to him. This was not, when we read this in scripture, this was not primarily a call for Peter and Andrew to leave the fishing business and to go into the religion business. That's not what this is. This was not a call to change careers. This was a call to wrap their whole life around who Jesus is and represent him with everything. So this is in the notes. I wanted to make sure you had this. Following Jesus defined their whole life from that point, not just Sunday morning, not just in the morning when maybe they pray or right before a meal. Everything about who they would become was wrapped around this idea of following Jesus. Joseph Stoll uh, identified our problem in the modern church when he said, we have become quite happy to call ourselves Christians with little or no thought of following me. So following me was not, it was not a call to sort of change the the belief part of who you are. And so now you're just going to believe certain things. It wasn't a call to change certain behavior so that now you're just going to act right. You're going to behave yourself, right? Follow me was a call to follow with your whole lives. And Jesus issued that call to them, and he's issuing that to you and me today. Everyone in this room, he's issuing this call to follow me, and then we have to decide what we're going to do with that. And that's a far different thing than what most people think of when they hear Christianity or the word Christian. And we both know why this has happened. And verse 20 tells us it's because it's hard to follow Jesus. Do you see what they had to do? Because here's the deal. If I want to follow Jesus, following means I have to drop my nets. Before I can follow him, I have to leave something behind. Ben Kacharis said that we, with every following, there is a leaving. Meister Eckhart said, spiritual growth happens in our life not just by adding some new thing, but through the discipline of subtraction. So here's the next question for you. What do I need to drop to follow Jesus completely? What's in my life right now? What do I have in my hand? What do I have going on? What's on my calendar? What's in my checkbook that I need to drop? So this is in the notes. A net is anything that inhibits or prohibits you from following Jesus with 100% abandon. What holds you back? What makes you an almost full-on follower of Jesus? See, here's the thing. All of us have our net in one hand, and we have Jesus holding our other hand. 
and we can't hold on to both because Jesus is pulling us to follow him. And so we have to let go of one thing or the other, and we have to decide because following Jesus brings a crisis of decision in our life. See, well, we, we've come to believe in our culture that we can sit in here and hold on to really anything we want to in our life because the rest of the world, they're okay as long as we just are Christians inside this room. The problem is Jesus isn't sitting in here. <laughs> Jesus is on his feet, and he's moving. And if we're going to follow him, we have to be moving with him. So the question becomes, what is the net that you need to let go of? Anybody who thinks that Jesus went around asking people to be nicer and to believe certain things hasn't read the book. <laughs> he called people to a radical redefinition of who they were, what they would live for, and what they would die for. As a matter of fact, he would say something like this, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. So if Jesus were here right now in this room, he would say, in your culture, in America, in the 21st century, that's the difference between a Christian and a disciple. You can be a Christian and kind of hold on to all the stuff in your life, but if you're going to be a disciple of mine, there are parts of your life you have to let go of because they can't follow me. Being a disciple means risking the whole thing, and that's huge, but there's more. A disciple is not only someone who's following Jesus, but they're also being changed by him. And we find that in what Jesus said next in Matthew 4. He says, and I will make you. So we, we began by talking about what it looks like to make a decision to follow him and what it means to say that we're being changed by him. And I want you to notice the two verb tenses because we're really intentional with those. Following and being changed by Jesus is something that will happen for the rest of our lives. We will never arrive on this side of heaven. We're always trying to follow. And sometimes we do better than others. And we're always working to allow Jesus to make us look more like him, this family resemblance thing. And, and sometimes we do better than others. But Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, he kind of expresses this idea when he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, transform is our English word. The Greek word is, more, more to mef is metamorpho. That was going to be really impressive if I could have said it the first time. But... <laughs> It's where we get our English word, metamorphosis. Metamorphosis means to change into another form. And so the promise of God is that if you follow his son, he will radically change what you are, who you are, into something new and better. Catch this, because some of us have heard this. God is not saying to any of us, yikes, you're a mess. It's just easier to find someone else than to try to help you. He's not saying that. And I think some of us have, we think that he's saying that about us. Do you believe that God would rather give up on you than save you? And that's not true. God loves you exactly the way you are right now. But he loves you way too much to allow you to stay there. And we're not perfect at this. Listen, if you're looking for the perfect church, you need to keep moving because we are not it, right? I don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. But what we have to be willing to do is allow God to work inside of us. So if we read the Gospels and we study the disciples of Jesus, what we find is they were not spiritual giants. So you have to forget stained glass windows. You have to forget statues that you've seen, images that you've seen. You have to forget all of that because they were just regular people, just like you and me. 
selfish people, just like you and me, rude at times people, just like you and me, sinful struggles that we all have, they struggled with sin as well. So not only did Jesus invite them to follow them, but he told them that he was going to help them become more like him. So to be clear, it's in the notes again, he was taking them as they were, but he made it uh, and clear that he intended to change the, uh, who they in essence were. Responding to the call of Jesus means allowing him to unmake us and then remake us. Being changed is not a one-time act. When we make the decision to follow Jesus, there is a change that begins to happen, but it follows us through the rest of our life. We are changed for the rest of our life. Paul wrote, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I became an adult, I put childish ways behind me. So this is where, by the way, our faith makes this 18-inch drop from our head to our heart. When we're being changed by Jesus, it's more than just what you know. It's about who you're becoming. In Micah 4, we read, he will teach us his way so that we may walk in his, in his paths. To be a disciple means that you know what is moving into your heart, right, and causing change in your character. That means our faith is not about sitting in this room. It's about who we're becoming and how we're going to live that out in whatever your life situation is, wherever you are in your station in life. What does it mean to follow Jesus where you are? So we say... A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. And if you've been here any amount of time, uh, you've heard us say this phrase. If this is your first time, you're hearing it for the first time. But we talk about here at MCC living on mission. When we talk about live on mission every week, it's whatever we've talked about from Scripture. What does it mean to apply that to our life? How do we live on mission? Matthew 4, he said to them, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. He said that sort of thing a lot. In Luke 19, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In Mark chapter 2, he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So how do we help others decide whether they want to be a disciple of Jesus or not? To live on mission means that I will invite others to follow me with or follow Jesus with me. That's all it means. Then invite, you, you may invite them to church, but that's not really the invitation. The invitation is to follow Jesus. Now, they'll end up in church, but the invitation is to follow Jesus. So in the notes, I want you to check this out when you get home. What if we determine that MCC is going to be the place where imperfect people are welcomed and invited and encouraged and challenged and shown? Not just told, but we will show them through our lives how to change. And what if we determine that MCC will be the place where we expect imperfect people to not be perfect, just like we're not perfect. And when they sin and blow it and make bad decisions and fall down, that we will help them receive forgiveness from God, just like we continue to receive forgiveness from God and from us, forgiveness from us when it applies, just like we hope we will receive forgiveness from others when we blow it and we'll help them back up, just like we need help back up when we fall down. I love how we approach it. We say here, uh, one of our core values is journey, that faith is a journey, not a destination, that we'll meet people where they are, not where we wish they were, and we will risk getting our hands messy to help people begin and build this relationship with Jesus, and that's huge, because if you're following Jesus, someone helped you. You didn't do that on your own. Someone helped you get there. Someone helped me get there. So can you see how this call to discipleship is way bigger than just going to church, 
that our call is to be the church, and it covers all areas of our lives. So each week, in case again this is your first time, each week here during our worship, we find ourselves right back here at the cross. Uh, I read about a group, youth group from uh, Chicago, was headed to the beaches of Florida for a mission trip, and the student pastor of the church was afraid that the sun, sand, and surf would lure the teenagers away from their purpose. I don't know if you can imagine that uh, even happening. But so he came up with this clever way to keep his group on track. He made a cross out of two pieces of timber, and just before they climbed up on the bus, he was showing it to his high school students. He said, I want you all to remember uh, that the whole purpose of our group is to glorify the name of Jesus, to lift up the cross, the purpose of the cross, the message of the cross, the emphasis of the cross, the Christ of the cross. Uh, And so we're going to take this cross wherever we go. And the students kind of looked at each other, kind of looked at him. So they took the cross up on the bus. And uh, they agreed, and it banged back and forth in the aisle as they traveled from Chicago to Florida. And wherever they went in to eat, the cross went in with them. Wherever they stayed overnight, the cross went with them. When they were on the beach ministering, the cross was in the sand with them. And he said, at first, lugging that cross around, embarrassed them. But later, it, it kind of came to be a point of identification. The cross was a constant, silent reminder of who they were and, and why they were there in that place. And they eventually regarded it, carrying it as an honor and a privilege. So the night before they went home, the student pastor handed out two nails to each of the kids. He told them that if they wanted to commit to what the cross stood for, They could pound one nail in the cross and take the other one with them. He said 15 years after that trip, one of the students who had been on the trip called him. Uh, Told him uh, he's a stockbroker now, uh, and he keeps that nail in his desk. And whenever he loses his sense of focus, he looks at that nail. And he remembers the cross on the beach in Florida. And it reminds him, as an adult stockbroker in the business world, of what, what and who sits at the core of his life, his commitment to Jesus, that he will follow him and be changed by him and be committed to his mission. So each week we come back to the cross because it reminds us who sits at the core of who we are, if we're following him, if we've chosen to be disciples, what, sits, what and who sits at the core of our being and drives who we're becoming and how we will live out our life in this world as we help others come to know who he is and decide whether they want to follow him as well. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to remember together, okay? Father, thank you for moments like this uh, where we get to come and, and it's to sing songs, especially if they're songs we've never sung before, that just are reminders of who you are in our life and who you've called us to be. Thanks for moments where we get to see our kids come out and just a reflection of the fun that they had this past week as they came and they didn't just come and do all kinds of crazy things. They came and learned about who you are and how you created them. So God, may that be a powerful reminder to us as well. But even at this moment that we return to each week, Father, for these emblems that remind us of who you are, 
and who we have said you will be in our lives. And if truth be told in the room online this morning, there have been moments this week where we've struggled and we may not have reflected you as well as we wanted to. We do ask forgiveness for that. For some of us in the room, we're still holding on to things in our lives that we just need to let go of. And this is that moment that calls us, screams to us that if we're going to follow you, we have to let other things go. And so we ask for help with that. But God, help us in this moment to remember who you are, what you have done for our behalf, on our behalf, your life for our sins. And Father, help us to love you and your kingdom, Jesus, Spirit, help us to love you well and to follow your prompting in our lives. And so we pray this, Jesus, in your name.